calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. And he kind of says to me, he says, well, let's see if there's anything here we can talk about. And he looks up at me with that classic Nicholson, you know, like, Mm -hmm. and he said, what happened to your mouth? Hello, world, and welcome back to another episode of Thanks for Coming In. I'm your host, Jillian Clare. If this is your first time tuning in, this is a show where I speak to fellow actors about their journey, and I make them share a couple bad audition stories with me. It's always a lot of fun. If you're not subscribed to the show already, make sure to hit that subscribe button and leave us some love in the form of stars or ratings or reviews or whatever it is that you're looking at on the platform you are listening on. Okay, quick life catch-up time. Um, I went to the When We Were Young concert uh, this past weekend. I was supposed to go on Saturday, and um, if you're following, it got canceled. In fact, we were down in our hotel lobby getting Starbucks when we got the notification that it was canceled. I am glad that they canceled it um, for safety reasons. It was the right move to keep everybody safe. Um, but then everyone I know was scrambling for tickets. Luckily, my friend Brett pulled through, got a ticket for me, trusted some Craigslist peeps, and hey, it worked out. Um, so that was great. It was incredible to see Avril Lavigne and Paramore and Bring Me the Horizon and The Main and Boys Like Girls and everyone, everyone from my youth. Um, so that was so, 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 so much fun. But hey, let's get to some more exciting things. Um, and this episode... Man, this episode is very exciting. It is my favorite episode to date. It uh, was so much fun talking to this guest. Um, I am such a huge fan. And I have to say, this is, yeah, this is my favorite interview, my favorite episode. And it's perfect for Halloween. Perfect. So in honor of Halloween this weekend, and by the way, please, everyone be safe. Take an Uber. Take a Lyft. Don't be dumb. Don't drink and drive. In honor of Halloween, we have the one and only godmother of horror. You know her from Insidious. You know her from Ouija. You know her from another 150 films. It's Lynn Shea. And welcome to the show, Lynn. 
Thank you. And thank you for inviting me. I am so excited to talk to you. Um, I am such a big fan of yours. And it's it's so lovely to see your face on the other side of the screen this morning. Thank you. Thanks so much. I appreciate that. Now, before we get into like all the things that everyone knows you from, all of your most popular franchise moments, I'd love to go back to the very, very, very beginning and ask you why you wanted to be an actor. I never made the choice, to be honest. <laughs> I think it was um, when I was little, What I, I lived in a neighborhood that didn't have a lot of kids, so I spent a lot of time on my own and my mom was great she i had a beautiful little bedroom and with um, bows on the walls and Aww. you know a real little girl's bedroom and i had a beautiful um closet with french doors that had two long mirrors and i had a whole other bed i mean i had two beds in my room the whole other bed was stuffed animals and dolls yes. i mean just covered you know that you, i had kept from the day i was born probably <laughs> and i used to entertain myself by making up stories with them Wow. And I would, and I, you know, kids' imaginations really are of enormous value. I think a lot of times adults don't recognize how important it is to to nurture that in your children, mm -hmm. and and not to take them away from, not stick them in front of the television and the damn these things. I Dark really I'm ready to throw it in the pool every <laughs> pool throw in the toilet. <laughs> Um, because I was, that was nurtured in me, you know, I was allowed to, to, um, to let that grow. And so that was really where I started. I would do different voices and all the animals would have different voices and the dolls had different voices. And, um, and I used to take clothes out of my closet and try and put on different outfits and sort of be, so I really made up my own theater wow. and, um, and I don't know if that was because it was nurtured or that's, or we're born with something, you know, that yeah. everybody's born with a talent or something that, that really feels good to them as a child in particular. And if that's nourished, so it really was. Mm -hmm. And then in, through school, you know, like the very beginning, I mean, I was always the first one with my hand up to be in a play because I could pretend <laughs> to be somebody else. And, um, and that went on through grade school, through high school, I, I was uh, I was in the drama club, I think, for a little bit, and I was always in the school plays, even a little part, like I would have a line. I didn't care. You know, I just, yeah. there was always another actor that had the big part, actually. I remember feeling that, and uh, but I didn't care. It wasn't like, well, why aren't I getting the, you know, I just wanted to be, <laughs> I just wanted to be in the middle. Um, and when I went to college, I went to University of Michigan. I was an art history major. I was not a theater major. Art history. Um, yeah. And um, actually, the reason I picked it is because you could sit in a dark room <laughs> and, <laughs> and just listen to somebody else talk and show you pictures. <laughs> so it was a very, um, it was a, actually a wonderful major. I mean, and I had some fantastic professors who were our world were world recognized. Mm. Um, and but I was always in plays. I would always there was a lab like um, the theater department had a, a play lab, and they would do these you know, experimental plays, you know, they from writers in school and also yeah. from unknown writers. So I was always acting. And um, when I graduated from Michigan, I moved to I, I moved to New York and I actually got my first job in the registrar's office at the Metropolitan Museum of Art because I'd been oh, in, wow. in, in art history and I hated it. <laughs> <laughs> Because I was sitting in the basement, you know, of, of the Metropolitan Museum of Art. The best part was going through the, 
the uh, exhibits in the morning to get yeah. to work because yeah. I would come in at 8 a.m. The museum didn't open till I think nine or 10. Wow. And I would spend time like in the Egyptian uh, room, you know, with all the <laughs> mummies. <laughs> so it sort of it might, might have maybe a generated horror desire in me. I don't know. But, um, and I kept thinking, when do I get to be in a play? You know, I was sort of filing away and it occurred to me I could go back to school also. And I applied to the theater programs at uh, Columbia, um, NYU and Brandeis. And I got wow. into NYU and Columbia and I decided to go to Columbia. Mm. So I was in, uh, in acting school, you know, it was a theater program in a master's degree and in New York City, and it was a fantastic program. I mean, it was so much fun because I was, you know, you were in sound and movement and I had these great teachers and great professors, uh, theater history, and we put on productions at the at the New York Shakespeare Festival because wow. Joe Papp was one of our teachers and he, of course, started the New York Shakespeare, Shakespeare Festival. So um, we did some of the classics, we did original plays, and it just was, a, I was very happy. I mean, it was really, it was hard work because it was like a 12 hour day. You know, you'd get there and if you were rehearsing, you'd get home at 10 o'clock at night. Yeah. And um, I finished, I finished, I did my final paper. So I got my degree <laughs> and I was actually thinking the other day where that diploma is because I probably <laughs> should frame it. But, um, and then from there it was, it was, this was in the late seventies. Uh, early 80s. I can't, I, I can't even remember exactly. But um, it was right when all the off off Broadway stuff was starting to happen, all these sort of little, little uh, adjacent theaters yeah. and yeah. groups would get together. And it was the beginning of Playwrights Horizons, the mm. WPA. It, it was the beginning of, um, uh, oh, my God, there was a slew of them, the American Place Theater. And I was always I was in everything. I mean, I, because I was very aggressive about wanting to continue what I loved. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it sort of segued into, you know, theater. I had no, no desire or anything about film. I didn't, really? I didn't even agree. None, zero. I loved acting. Yeah. I mean, I loved storytelling and I loved acting. And there was where that all, you know, was really happening. So to answer your question, <laughs> <laughs> long way around, I mean, that was how I, I, I thought, what do I want to do? And I thought, well, I want to be in a play. And I thought, well, what's that called? That's called acting and yeah. being an actress. So here I here I am. That's amazing. I mean, what an exciting time to be in New York at that age oh, and, and oh my God. seeing just this like movement of, of art being created yep. all around yep. you. I can't even and imagine never again. that feeling. I, oh, it was incredible. I mean, it was really timing is everything. It yeah. was the perfect because I wasn't trying to, can I, you know, it was like I was a part of that group. I was a part of that community mm -hmm. of, of young actors doing plays in New York City. And it was just the Chelsea Theater Center. That was where I got my equity card. I, I had one line as an Arab. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, um, and it was an equity show. And I mean, so, you know, I really, it was, it was everything for me. And I'm forever grateful for it. Wow. So what was that first film or TV role for you and how did it, how did it come up? Okay. You, I hope you have a few hours here. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So what happened was I had gotten a job um, in Boston at the Boston Rep 
in theater. Yeah. Um, I was supposed to be, uh, we were, they were doing um, a production of Candida with Eva Marie Saint. A lot mm. of people don't even know who she was, but she was an exquisite actress. Um, and I was so excited. George Bernard Shaw, you know, I mean, to play a real classic. And I was to play, the character's name is Prossy. She's it's the such sp- like a sex- theater major person, like, want perfect. and dream right like perfect, george perfect. bernard shaw yes thank you totally and in boston at the boston rep which was a big theater you know because yeah. all these uh, regional repertories were very popular and doing extremely well and i got fired oh no before i even got before i even got to boston they and i was devastated and i didn't understand i said what did i i didn't do anything i mean we hadn't rehearsed we hadn't done anything and I was just a wreck. And I remember they, they wrote me a little note and they just said, please forgive us. But what was happening is Eva Marie Saint was in her 50s. Mm. And I was, I don't know, 30s, I guess mid 30s probably at that time. And they, she's Candida, the character is supposed to be in her 30s. Mm-hmm. And I looked like I was 12 years old on stage. I was oh. very, I was just, and the problem was I was not, it, it became unbelievable that she was in her 30s and that I was playing a 30-year-old also, you know, that, mm-hmm. so um, I was making her look old, you know, in, in their minds. I mean, we never tested it, but that was what they thought. And so they got a younger actress to play the role. Oh, my gosh. And um, <laughs> I know, younger, whatever worked for her right. was, was what they wanted. They did that. So. I, I was really, I was miserable. I remember I got a rash on, I, and I don't, my, I don't break, I'm not that person, but suddenly I had this weird rash on my arm and I was, I was very unhappy. And I get this call from my agent who said, um, so Ted Nicholson was in town and they wanted to see a, a picture of you. And I said, what? what? And they said, yeah. And they said, well, yeah, they're doing this movie um, called Going South. And um, I don't know. We don't know too much about it. But so we sent them your picture. And I said, well, that was all you did. I said, didn't you, you know, promote, you know, did you get me a meeting? I, whatever. <laughs> and um, so I, I'm a very proactive person and not because I have any agenda, but that's just how my energy goes forward in that way. So I remember I went through, um, my apartment and I'm gathering together every picture I can find. This is me with curly hair. This is me with straight hair. This is me dressed up. This is me as an urchin. I mean, I must have made a little packet of probably 12 pictures. And I wrote this note and I had gotten um, a card from the store that said it was called, it said the soothsayer on it. And I remember I wrote the, I wrote the address, the, um, the, uh, the day on the card was seven, seven, 77. It was Whoa. all these seven. And seven for me has always been, sorry about that. Oh, you're okay. Um, has always been a big number for me in many respects. So, um, and at the bottom of the card, I, I put it all together. I was going to send a special delivery. There was no FedEx even then yet. Nobody, yeah. knew, you know. So I put um, at the bottom, P.S., I plan to be to, in L.A. for a short visit in the next week, mm. which was a lie. <laughs> <laughs> But I knew they weren't coming back to, they weren't, my, you know, my agent had told me they weren't coming back to um, to New York. And within about three days, whenever he received it, I get a call from my agent and he says to me, do, do you know him? And I said, what? He said, do you know, Jack called and wants to meet you as soon as you're in Los Angeles. 
So. Oh my I God. I packed dirty laundry. I called my father. I said, can I, can I use your credit card to get an airplane ticket? And I literally flew out to LA the next day to meet Jack Nicholson and for a line and going south. And uh, Betty Buckley, who's an exquisite actress and singer, you probably know who she is. She was a good friend of mine. Um, she had a, a, a singing class for actors that I was in in New York, and she had gotten a job on a series called Eight is Enough, mm. and she was to play the mother. She was replacing an actress who had passed away. Um, and Betty was, so I didn't know anybody in L.A., and I'm, and I'm you know, I'm going like this. And I, <laughs> um, so <laughs> I send her a note, and she said, I'm staying at the Chateau Marmont. I'll get you a room here. Come on. Yeah, sure. So I get on the plane. <laughs> okay, wait, here's the best part. I start getting a fever blister from the nerves and the oh, tension. Oh, no. And I could feel my whole face throbbing. And I'm going, oh, this is not really happening. <laughs> <laughs> and um, on the plane, I mean, it was really, it was a, a f unforgettable horror, mo real horror moment in yeah. my life. Yeah. I ended up with like a quadruple fever blister on my mouth. Oh my God. And I mean, my, really, it was distorted. I mean, my whole, it was like this. And I thought, and I thought, well, I've got this meeting tomorrow. <laughs> and, with Jack um, Nicholson Jack of Nicholson, all people. Jack Nicholson. And so I remember I put on, and I called the cab company because I, I didn't, there was no Uber and there was none yeah. of that stuff. Yeah. I must, they finally said to me, stop calling. We will be there at nine. <laughs> Because my appointment was at 10 in the morning at Paramount. I'd never, I didn't even know what Paramount looked like. So at 10 o'clock, nine in the morning, I get in the cab. Even the cab driver got <laughs> a double take. And I said, I'm fine. Don't worry about it. I'm fine. <laughs> and um, I get to Paramount and I'm like in heaven because you walk through those yeah. pearly gates, you know, which are really pretty extraordinary if you've never been into anything like that. I go into their office and um, sit down and I, I, I was just trying to pretend nothing. I put lots of mascara on. I kept thinking if I really put great eye makeup on, you really aren't going like, to notice yeah, that. Yeah, I'm just going to distract them with other yeah, totally. parts of my face. Yeah, <laughs> whatever. And I even remember what I was wearing. I mean, I put, I, I, I won't go into that, but um, so they call, so they say, okay, they call my name and I walk into Jack's office. And he's sitting at his desk and he had his head down and he was looking at my, at my, he had my picture and resume in front of him. And the wall had all like Mary, Mary Steenburgen had just gotten cast and mm. it was her first movie, her, her very first movie. Wow. And Danny DeVito was up on the board and John Belushi and Tracy Walters and Veronica Cartwright. I mean, the whole cast pretty much of Going South. And he kind of says to me, he says, well, let's see if there's anything here we can talk about. And he looks up at me with that classic Nicholson, you know, like, mm -hmm. and he said, what happened to your mouth? <laughs> <laughs> and I, and I, and I just said, oh, I, I said, I'm fine. I said, I know I, I really didn't just come out here to meet you, but, <laughs> and he was just, he, I think he was very. He was Jack Nicholson, who's very endeared. He said, well, don't worry about it. He said, I've lived with actresses long enough to know that that, you know, that you're worried about it. Don't even worry about it. And I was only in there for a few minutes. I have, it, it all seemed like a blur. You know, I was so yeah. excited and exhausted and infected. <laughs> <I had> a, 
so um and all he said is these are for some small roles there's um uh there's four spinsters in the movie and he said but we could make one a parasol lady and so that was all he said and so i remember i walked out and i really i was just shot out of a cannon i didn't know where i was i didn't know I went back to the Chateau Marmont. Betty Buckley really took care of me. I mean, yeah. She, I mean, she, it's the Chateau. Really, it's the Chateau. And, and I, you know, I didn't even know how much money I was paying yet. <laughs> but, um, but she, so we decided to wait. I had, you know, we had to wait. She said, you got to wait and see what's going to happen. And in the meantime, this part, I, don't, I, I, I got a job. It was so weird. And this finally started to calm down. I mean, you know, the but, um, <laughs> but um, I, so I was staying here and I was meeting people because I'd come out to meet Jack Nicholson. So I was, I was getting appointments to meet all these different casting people and, mm. and good, you know, it was, so I thought, oh, this is fun. This is easy, you know, and let's see, maybe I, you know, whatever. And I got hired for a movie of the week um, that was incredible with uh, F. Murray Abraham and Judith Light. Judith and Light. It's, still, it's called Sex and the Married Woman. It's still on. You can still see it online. And um, I mean, that's a whole story, too, because I had <laughs> never done I'd never done a TV show. So yeah. I did. I went shopping for my own own wardrobe and I had a great idea about um, <laughs> the character because I'm, I'm a Uta Hagen woman. I'm Stella Adler. I mean, I study, I'm an actor yeah. studio member. I mean, I know how to work. You know, this is no TV for me doesn't mean anything other than what is the character wearing? Where were they right before the scene starts? Yeah. You know, what are, what are you thinking about when you, so I had this idea <laughs> and it was a comedy and I'm F. Murray Abraham's wife. I'm in the kitchen and I thought I probably am cooking something. So I went to a, a delicatessen <laughs> and I bought a turkey leg. No. I swear to God. And I put it and I took it and I brought it in, to, you know, to the set. And we were shooting that day. And I, um, uh, and I went shopping for my own wardrobe. I remember I got a little T-shirt that said sexy on it. That was kind of this little funny little T-shirt. And uh, so I said to uh, the director, I think his name was Jack Arnold, a, a very famous TV director. Yeah. Um, I said, so I figure I'm in the kitchen and I'm cooking. So at the beginning of the scene, I thought, you know, I would come into the scene with this turkey leg and I pulled the turkey leg out of my bag. No. And I remember that they all sort of backed up against the wall. I mean, they were, and they, I remember the director had his arms crossed and he's just kind of looking at me. He said, that's a great idea. And we did it. And it's in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> and he loved my outfit. I bought little um, little pink um, palm tree earrings that I got. At, at, like It was Thrifties then. It wasn't even called Rite Aid. Yeah. And I so I put my outfit on with my turkey leg. And that was my first job. And then it was about a wow. week. So I'd been now in L.A. for about two or three weeks. <laughs> paying, paying for a room at the Chateau. Chateau. Really? With my, your turkey leg. Son. Really? <laughs> so, um, uh, so I, so I finally, I got a call from, um, my agent who said they want you for, uh, for two weeks in Durango, Mexico. Wow. And I said, who, who, who wants me? <laughs> and they said, Nichols, Jack, you know, going south. 
So that was how, that was my first TV, my first Ooh. film job. Wow. And I had one line, you know, and I, I have a, a great, a great little outfit that was eight, 1980, 1890s, you know, beautiful wardrobe. Mm. And, um, and I, I was in a lot of crowd scenes as well. So that was why I only literally had one line mm -hmm. um, with a wonderful actress named Anne Ramsey, who was a, a fairly popular character actress. And she was always drunk. <laughs> Including, <laughs> and I, mean, I don't think she'd be mad at me if she even if she knew I said that. And I remember even in the scene, she was like, and she didn't have very much to say either. It was grateful we didn't have a lot of dialogue. <laughs> it was just a good close up. But um, anyway, what a life! So that was my life. that was truly my beginning. And um, I so I I was in Mexico, and then of course I came back, and I thought I should move to L.A. You know, I yeah. should. I had a little apartment in New York, uh, a great little apartment on Perry Street um, mm. and a brownstone. And um, I had a boyfriend at the time and he just sort of took over the lease. And that was unfortunate because yeah. he, he had someone else move in. And the, the, mm. I remember the real estate people said, uh-uh, <laughs> you are no longer a subletter. You are a, a deal breakers. And, and so they took the apartment away from me, which was too bad. Yeah. But, but anyway, so that was my That's long, long story. One. Wow. I mean, what a story, though. So many twists and turns in there. <laughs> um, so you've done, I mean, you've done so much. You've done over 150 films, which is like the craziest wow. amount of numbers I've seen for films in my life, I think. Um, but uh, I mean. That's and because like, I'm 111. <laughs> no, no. Anyway, close. Um, I mean, you've done like a lot of comedy stuff, Dumb and Dumber. There's something about Mary, obviously huge classics. But I want to know like how you feel about being called like the godmother of horror. Because when you look up Lynn Shea, it says the godmother of horror. And I, I just want to know what so, that feels like for you. Well, I was sort of dubbed that at, um, oh, I should have I should have done my research. I can't remember the name <laughs> of the, um, it was, we were in Philadelphia and it was kind of an award they gave me. Wow. Um, and and it was a really sweet, it was an honor. It wasn't really an award. It was really just an honor. And I, it sort of floored me because I don't think of myself as a, as a horror actress or, mm. I mean, I, I only think of myself as an actress or an actor. Right. You know, Telling I, good I, stories. Yeah. And so... Um, it was indeed a terrific. Uh, I actually, you want to see the little the little yes. trophy they gave me? Hold oh on. my gosh! Yes, wonderful. of course. <laughs> oh, it was Wizard World. That Wizard was the name of the, of the yeah, and it's really quite beautiful. <gasps> Look at that! You can see it says. Godmother I guess you can see. That is so cool. <laughs> and it's real heavy. It's, it's really, I mean, it's all glass, you know, solid. It's really quite beautiful. Wow. And I mean, and so I, I, I was so, I honestly, I, I, I don't, I have no real perspective on awards or tributes. I'm just grateful that I've, I guess, gathered together fans, a fan base based on the work I've done. And um, you know, there are the, the standouts, which is, of course, Dumb and Dumber. And Dumb and Dumber was my first outing reel with comedy. And that's a whole long story with the Farrelly brothers, too. But um, and uh, so I, I love being called the godmother of horror because it's why so not? Cool. You know? Yeah, it's so and, cool. Um, 
and the fact that I've also been had had these opportunities to do comedy and drama and um, other, you know, I, I'm not just pigeonholed into one yeah. thing. And the horror fan, fan base is extraordinary. I mean, they are the most generous, wonderful group of people ever. Yeah. I mean, you just there's no backbiting, no BS. It's really they're invite they're they're they're, they're great hosts. Mm -hmm. They invite you in, and they appreciate what you do, and they um, they they don't forget you. So mm -hmm. I feel very honored. Is the, to answer your question, I feel very honored. Yeah, I mean, I've always loved horror films. My my sister used to torture me because my sister's much older than me. So she tortured me when <laughs> I was... My brother used to torture me too. Yeah, she tortured me with, guess what? A Nightmare on Elm Street when I was a child. Um, and for years, I was terrified of Freddy Krueger um, to the point of like even seeing him at Halloween Horror Nights made me want to cry. Um, <laughs> but... Robert would love knowing that. Oh, God. I, would, I think I would die if I saw him in person. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with more from Lynn Shay. Hello, my name is Alison Larkin and I'm a writer, comedian and narrator and host of the Jane Austen podcast. This podcast brings Jane Austen's stories to the 21st century, along with commentary from me and conversations with fascinating people who all share a love of Jane Austen. And of course, we had to start with none other than pride and prejudice. So join me as we embark on a journey through some of the most wonderful stories I know. The Jane Austen Podcast with Alison Larkin is available wherever you listen to podcasts. And back to the show. But I have to talk to you about Insidious because I remember seeing that in, in theaters and never feeling so scared in my life. That movie was like, I don't know what it was about that film. If it was, I think it was everything. It was the cinematography, the acting, the the sound, the the music. Everything just felt so daunting almost. And it was terrifying. And you've become like the superstar of the Insidious franchise. And it's I just so, so interesting to me because I honestly... I mean, there's a you know wonderful story, which I mean to, to hear about that because I uh, James Wan, to this moment, I mean we're very good friends, and yeah. I I have the highest regard for him, pretty much of almost any director I've worked with. He's right up at the top because he's a real cinephile. Mm. You know, he does he's non-judgmental. He's he's I mean I'm sure he is. You know, he, he makes judgments. <laughs> But you never feel he's judging something you're doing, which yeah. is kind of a tricky thing with directors often when they want something and they don't really know how to communicate it quite properly. And um, and it sort of triggers weird things in me when I feel I'm not giving somebody what they and James totally he I met him through a, a mutual friend. He came over to a little party one night to my house. I had my friend coming over and he came with James. And James had seen a movie I did called Dead End. Yeah. Which is become a classic to, to yeah, my fans. It's like a cult classic now. And it is totally, that's also, I don't even know where the director, I don't even think the director knows anything about it. He lives in France. I, <laughs> you know, he's French. He's a, there were two French guys that directed that. Oh my God. And, um, so anyway, James was loved that movie and he wanted to meet me. 
So he came over and he's very unassuming and he's just very kind and a very sweet presence, you know, is um, no, no BS with him at all. And um, so that was it. I had another copy of it. So I gave him my, I had a CD. So I gave him the, the CD I had. And about three weeks later, he called me and he said, um, my partner and I, Lee Winnell, we're, we're thinking of doing this movie and there's a role. Would you like to look at the script? So I said, sure, you know, that would be awesome. So he sent the script over and um, I read it in bed. Oh gosh, that's a bad idea. <laughs> and Lee Winnell is very typical and wonderful Lee Winnell, who I adore with all my heart. Um, he would change the font when it was getting scary. No <laughs> so way. The, like, <laughs> so there I am at one thirty in the morning reading this. And I remember seeing like, you know, the, the, the they were coming or whatever the, the lines were. And by the end of the script, because it was very well written, it was, and I remember the part was a lot of talking. It was yeah. the beginning of Elise describing the universe of the further. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and without that setup, you don't know what anybody's afraid of. So, but at, I remember taking the script downstairs and I put it in the closet <laughs> because I didn't, I didn't want to, I just didn't want it around me, you know, You're whatever. like, get away. <laughs> so the next day I called James and I said, I would love to do the role, you know, I mean, if you get it done or whatever. So long story short, um, they went into production a few weeks later and, um, you know, Patrick Wilson and Rose Byrne, and we had, it was a very, it was an $800,000 budget. It was a very, you know, inexpensive yeah. film. Um, we we shot here in LA and in this one little area and, and at this house. And um, lo and behold, you know, they, it really, they showed Blue it at up. Toronto. Yeah. And then Sony bought it and they wanted to expand it a little. So they put another, I think like three, they put some more money into mm-hmm. the, into the shoot and there was a little bit of extra filming done for the ending. Mm. And, um, and I don't know. And I just remember James saying to me, people love your character. And I said, Oh, that's kind of cool. Cause I mean, I, you know, <laughs> I was not the star of the, I mean, Patrick and Rose are the stars. Yeah. And um, so, and he said, you know, maybe we shouldn't kill you because what if we do another one? I said, I don't worry about it. <laughs> so kill me in the first one. Yeah. <laughs> and then I get to be a ghost in the second one. I Which knew they were so doing another fun. one. Right. Really. And then after that, I, people, ju- I don't, and I, I don't know the answer why Elise is so beloved. I mean, it's, it's cause it's not me. I mean, it, I, I mean, feel like that's. It has a lot to do with you too, because the way that you bring Elise to life is like, you know, I think there would have been for another actor a very easy way to be, you know, condescending with Elise or or more of a of um a pessimistic person. But you bring such a lightness to the character that I feel like it's just you never feel like something bad is gonna happen if you're there to protect the audience. That's crazy. I really I mean I'm I, I that's just crazy to me, you know, because because I, there was no intent about anything like, other than what I do, as I said, from Uta Hagen and Stella Adler yeah. and Lee Strasberg. I mean, really, like, what, what am I doing? You know, where am I coming from? What is that feeling? Mm-hmm. I just remember when we were working on wardrobe and stuff, I wanted kind of, I wanted sky blue. I wanted blues. I, I you know, I knew with the color I Tommy. wanted. And I knew, and I remember my hair even, I, 
and which is probably the most prominent in the first one. Um, I wanted it looked like it had been swept back, mm -hmm. that there was like wind in my face or something, you know, that there was a forwardness to her. Yeah. And and I didn't want to make her um, later that people started calling her Dr. Elise Rainey. I said, this woman's not a doctor. Mm -mm. She's a housewife with a dog <laughs> whose husband's dead yeah. and who has an ability. I mean, I'm not. And that all that that sort of was a bit of contention all the way through because people assumed that she was this. I said, she's she's like you. She's mm -hmm. but she all of a sudden she feels something. She's she's tuned into something because she's a listener mm. which is we what acting listen. is right and we don't listen yeah. when you when you people are so busy especially now with again the phone they're so jumbled in their own head they don't listen to what someone is saying they don't listen to what's around them i truly do believe there's another world other than what we've destroyed yeah. <laughs> here what we are in the middle of destroyed and we don't know. We know nothing. We know nothing. You know, a year we're, you know, we're, we're hitting asteroids thing. You know, we don't know anything. Mm -hmm. And, and, and spirits, we know energy doesn't, you can't destroy energy. So when yeah. someone, literally when someone dies, you can't destroy what that is or was. And whether you believe they're spirits or you believe they evaporate or they, you know, watch over you with their angels. Who knows? We don't have that answer. So I, I think that was one of the things appealing about Elise is she's a great listener. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, did you ever feel, did you ever get like frightened on set portraying Elise? I mean, having these fake demons around you? No, no, I never did. No, even Joe Bashara didn't scare me. <laughs> However, he did scare Ty Simkin, you know, the, you know who plays the, who plays Dalton. Um, Dalton, who was a little boy then. He's yeah. you know now twenty two or whatever. He was like ten, nine or ten years old, and he would cry every time he saw Joe. And oh, so Joe no. said, "Yeah." So Joe said, "Come." He said, "I want you to come into the makeup trailer with me and watch me get into the makeup, and then oh. you will see." So. Oh, apparently this is this is from Joe. I heard so Ty is in the trailer watching everything. Everything's fine, and suddenly the hooves went on, <laughs> or whatever. There was a part of the of the wardrobe or the makeup that suddenly Ty just kind of blanched and turned around and ran. Out of the oh trailer. my god! So it didn't it didn't help, and you know he was poor kid. Yeah, really. So um, and it was listen. Who knows why something is popular? What makes one movie more prominent than yeah. another in its kind of timing? Like, where are we at right now? What are people listening to? What are they afraid of? So we hit we hit it right on the button. And yeah. the James and Lee are an incredibly powerful team. And so, um, you know, then Adam Robitel directed one and Lee Winnell directed one yes. as well. But um and there's there is another one, you know. Patrick mm -hmm. is directing another one, so they're trying to, you know, trying to pr still continue the series on some level. Um, but it changed my life. I mean, it really did. I mean, that kind of when the studio, you know, Blumhouse or whatever, kept going. They love Lynn, you know. And I'm, it's embarrassing. I <laughs> I have trouble loving me quite a bit. <laughs> Go, why would anybody else? But I know I'm a good actress. I You're know very I'm good able. Actress. I am a good at because I'm 
I never lie. I swear to God, I never lie. Sometimes it's wrong for the moment, but mm -hmm. then we have to fix it or do whatever. I love storytelling and I love telling the truth. I mean, as I said, that that's the most important part to me about being an artist in general. Mm. So um, I'm grateful that I've been rewarded for those things, you know, rather than um, we all know how difficult it is to get jobs as an actor and to break yeah. into the business. I never really thought about any of that Yeah. in order to go back to when did you decide to be an actress? I didn't. Yeah, I didn't. I just, I have a passion to pretend to be other people and tell the truth. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Um, well, on this show, we like to share bad audition stories or auditions that have gone horribly wrong or ones that were like ones that you really wanted that got away. Um, is there an audition story you'd like to share with the listeners? Well, I mean, this, the going south one is that was probably amazing. The, mo the most prominent that sticks in my mind. I really, I, I kind of went through a whole series. I, I kind of hated auditioning and then I kind of liked it. And it's very different now. You know, now it's like you have to self-tape. Yeah, you, I can't you can see the light already set up in the back just in case. Yeah, someone so I mean, I have in. a little, you know, here, is this any good? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what do I, where's the thing? I don't, and, um, but I think that probably was the most prominent. There have been plenty of auditions I've never, you know, I've never gotten. I've done great auditions and didn't get the part. And mm -hmm. I know they were great auditions. I think inside yourself, um, for an actor, the, the most important thing is, is to fulfill your, your own storytelling yeah. and relaxation. And I would get so nervous. Oh, my God. It's awful. I mean, that part of it. It's nerve-wracking. It. Yeah. It's because you're being... And you're being judged, even though you try to take that out of your mind, mm -hmm. you know, you know, you're being judged. I've been very grateful that um, a lot of things are just offers, you know, where I decide if I want to do them or not. And I've been asked lately to self-tape and I get really, I, you know, I go, hey, I've been doing this 52 years. Yeah. If you want to do a Zoom audition, I would do it 100%. I mean, if you need me to read right now and to and to have a conversation about the role and talk to the director, but this business of in a vacuum, you're standing there with the thing and the thing. Oh, and, and it you know, takes so much reader. time. It takes so much time to set up and do the thing and edit it and set like it. And there's no just, conversation. No. I have to, for me as an actress at this point in time, if I can't have a conversation with, with the director or the producer or the casting director, whoever, about the role, mm -hmm. so I know where I'm heading. Because everything is so open to interpretation. You know, if I'd done the other one, I would have gotten the job, but I didn't have that information. Right. So how am I supposed to read your mind of how you want me to play it? <laughs> so true. Yeah, and in the audition, if someone says, make an adjustment here, excellent, mm -hmm. let's go. You know, let, that's what acting is. It's not some presentational thing with the thing where some voice and disattached voices reading lines to you, you know, even in a physical audition before COVID and all that, there was more, there was an opportunity, right? You know, you talk yeah. to people, yes, to say casting. So do you think they want this or that? Well, let's try it both ways. Okay, great. You know, and you're still reading with uh, someone who's reading, but so what mm -hmm. you have a, you have, you a, have connection. a connection. Yeah. It's all about so the anyway, that's don't get me on the, you know, but so <laughs> I, I think I think in terms of experience, the worst experience is to give your heart out and you know you did great and you don't get the job. Yeah. But that's part of the deal. It is. 
You know, it you really tall is. Enough, you weren't short enough. You know, you're, you're, you're too old, you're too young, you're too, you know, there's so many options that go into, again, which is why in person, um, when you can show whoever it is that you're reading for or auditioning for your understanding of the character and of the story, that makes a difference. It does. It does. It makes a difference. And nobody really hands me anything still, you know, I'm, I'm happy. And I'm, again, I'm happy to audition if I can have a conversation. Mm. So that's, I, I mean, preach. I love that. I self tapes just make me so nervous. And so, you know, you get so in your head too, because you yeah. don't, you're, and you're you do the it only over person. and over and over. Right. And oh, you're the only yeah. person taught like talking to yourself about it. And like you said, when you're in a room with somebody, at least you can talk out the character, the film, the show, whatever it is, so that you can feel like you're like collaborating because that's what acting is. And you know what I used to do? And I mean, kind of inadvertently, but I would sit, the best auditions I think I ever gave was when I took charge, where I would come in and just say, let me discuss with you what I think about the character and the story. And Mm -hmm. then you, you know, and then if if you don't mind, just give me two minutes. So then if, if there's additional information to give me before I read, that would be great. You know, so automatically yeah. you're, you've put the ball in your court. Mm-hmm. You know, I, the whole audition, uh, you know, the uh, authorities, it's very unpleasant to be come into yeah. a room where people are, hi, how are ya? Did she get a good name at Robert's <laughs> Hi, so yeah, that was great. You know, you go. Yeah. <laughs> yep. yep. Oh, that's that, there's an audition to tell you about. Oh, did you flip um, someone okay. off? I've told, this, I've told this story before. Wes Craven, who is one of the great ever of, yes. of anybody, one of the greatest people as well as fantastic storyteller and director. So it was a Twilight Zone episode. I have okay. told this story before. And um, it's a character that she's a ghost. I mean, mm. the, the character is a ghost, but she's kind of, uh, the way I saw it is there's an emotionality to her, which is how she draws the, the the person into her world, mm. um, which is a scary world, and um, so I had the sides and all that, and I and um, I went to the audition, and Wes was there, and I knew Wes because I did Nightmare on Elm Street, the first right. Nightmare on Elm Street, and that's Wes is my brother, my brother Bob Shea started New Line Cinema, and Nightmare on Elm Street was their first big success, and Wes and my brother were real friends, and I got, the reason I got the teacher in Nightmare on Elm Street is my brother said, put my sister in your movie. (laughs) I mean, that was, yeah, so I got it, and it's been a very positive thing for me, obviously, for years. Okay, so I knew Wes a little bit, you know, we weren't social, social friends, but he knew me, and knew I did good work for him. So the casting director, so we read the scene, and I kind of got a little bit emotional, which is what I wanted from the material. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the audition, he says, okay. He says, yeah, that was fine. So can you do it a little less emotional this next time, a little less creepy? <laughs> and I just kind of, and I was still kind of in the moment, you know, yeah. as an actor goes. And I just looked at him and I went. <laughs> and Wes Craven was in the back of the room. And all of a sudden, I see Wes go like this. Oh, my God. <laughs> laughing, laughing his head off. Because he, he would get real rosy when he was animated, Wes would. And I remember seeing his cheeks get really red. And he just kind of had his face covered. And he hired me on the spot. Oh, my said, God. <laughs> That's amazing. 
So oh, that does not saying story. do not give people the finger <laughs> when you're unhappy. That is not the, the moral of this story. But the story is stick to your guns. I mean, do yeah. you know, there's not everybody's going to love what you do and not everybody's going to approve of what you do. But that doesn't matter. You don't have to please everybody all the time. You have to please your own instincts and yourself. And that's how you grow. Otherwise, you 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 um, put blinkers on yourself. You know, mm. you kind of squash yourself. Never, ever, ever do that. Be yeah. respectful. I mean, that was disrespectful. But you know what? <laughs> <laughs> but it sounds kind of like he deserved it. Well, it, he did deserve it. And also it was so, I didn't even, there was no thought process. It wasn't like, I'm going to give this guy the finger. It was just like, <laughs> you wouldn't know a real audition if you saw it and it hit you in the face. So I'll never say who that person oh was. Oh my God. That's amazing. What a he great knows. story. He knows. He knows Somewhere. for sure. Um, well, what's next for you? What are you, are you working on anything right now? What can we expect from Miss Lynn Shay? Oh gosh. Um, I would love to be, I was supposed to be in Bulgaria with Ron Perlman on a fantastic film. And it was a Netflix project oh. that was, it was financed by Netflix. And Netflix has had their problems, I guess, of late. And mm-hmm. the, the money fell out. And so we're not doing it. Which was a big, because Rennie Harlan was the director, a very good script, an action adventure. Um, so that did not happen. Um, I did a series, which I've never done, my first series in Canada last, it was last October, a year ago. Wow. Um, it's called um, the, the Last Stand of Ellen Cole, and I'm Ellen. And it's a terrific script. It, was, it started out being a feature, and then it's been broken down into six episodes. Um, wow. It's not sold yet, so we don't know. I'm, you know, there's so much content right now, I'm a little nervous about it, because I'm not that big of a star in terms of, I mean, I'm, I'm not, you know, I mean, we know who the big stars are. And yeah. the scary thing for me is um, there's a terrific show that was a, a series um, with Jeff Bridges and John Lithgow called Old Man. It was amazing. And mm-hmm. nobody saw it. Mm. It's like. Yeah. I mean, there's so much content. It's so difficult to keep up with everything that comes out because so many things look so great. But it's like, how do you have the time to see everything? Right. And then you watch half of it and then the phone rings and then the right. other thing. And, and so everybody so there's so much content and again and and if jeff bridges who i just i mean i was hanging on every it's the most beautiful series if anybody if if you're interested in checking it out to do it's really um it's powerful and beautifully acted and beautiful photography but then you go well our little project which was you know low budget pretty much and um uh, you know, it's a g- wonderful story. I play a fantastic character, which is really fun. Mm. And I had to do gun. I had to learn to shoot and I oh, had dang. combat training. And so I'm an assassin, basically. I used to be an assassin is what it's about. Oh, heck yes. Story. I'm in. So it, <laughs> it's real, And it's also got some comedy in it. It's really, really, I think, very unique. Yeah. So we'll see what's going to happen with that. Um you know, not, nothing yet to report, but I know they're going to try and sell it probably to one of the streaming networks, you know, which is Yay. why we turned it into a series. So there's that. And then I did, um, I have a podcast I'm working on with my son, Yay. which we're, we're sort of very excited about. Um, we're actually just beginning to talk to, uh, to try to get it. It's a, it's a series that he's written. Mm-hmm. Um, 
about, uh, it's called A Different City. And it's uh, sort of sci-fi f- fiction, scary. It's, it's, it's kind of, yeah. So, um, and they're like 20, 25 minute to, you know, probably 45 minute episodes. And he's written almost the whole, uh, or many of the pieces that are series. Wow. So we recorded the first one and we have a beautiful deck. And we're trying to get it to, you know, um, Fangoria starting a new podcast network. Mm-hmm. There's some, so there's places I, I, just as of this morning that I have a connection with because of my past. Yeah. Um, and I'm hoping, and I narrate them. I read all the stories. Oh, I mean, how it's, fun. I'm, so he's written them and they have a beautiful, he's written some very, very sort of um, just atmospheric. He's a musician also, and he's written some beautiful sort of stings that, that the, the piece themselves themselves are quite beautiful to watch and you close your eyes and you listen and they're really they're really powerful Mm. so um that's been very exciting we're sort of in process you know we're trying to get it to the proper channels and um and podcasting is very popular right now we're right in the pocket with that yep so those are and then i'm working on a script with um uh, a writer director i've never written a script because mm-hmm. I just don't have the, I, it's too hard. It, it's too, it's too jam. There's too much because you have to rewrite and rewrite and redo and redo. But what I'm great at is looking at a story someone else has written and seeing what's missing Yeah. and how you could, and, and dialogue. I'm, I must say I'm really great at dialogue. And, um, you've and spent often, years speaking it. It makes sense. Totally. And people are really and sort of I've sort of slipped in stuff which I didn't even mean to in places. And when I see the work, I go, "Wow, that was good." <laughs> you know, I really rejoiced <laughs> there, and I made it better. So we're working on a script. Um, we together. I just I just did a whole bunch of rewrites, and I have to read the script this weekend. He's he's always incorporated it, and they've got money uh, to mm-hmm. shoot it. So it'll be a low budget. Um, it's it's kind of, it's kind of a horror film but it's also about duplicity and about hollywood Ooh, and, uh, <laughs> I like it's got it. some really good things i play the head of a studio in it which is uh that's fun named max, max. <laughs> well it's maxine but and she i just i actually this. just got really i just got the image of of how i want her to look which is really great so I'm, so that's fun. I'm, you know, we're sort oh, of in process and yay. I don't know. Yeah. So all these things are, so percolating. Things. but I love being on set. I would love to be going to work, you know, and, and doing something now. I mean, so I don't yeah. know. It's, I have to get hired. Yeah, I know. The struggle of an actor is just getting really? that, getting that There's call. Which, of which I know you, you understand as well. So, um, but I love I love living. I'm grateful. I've stayed healthy. I have not had the, the big C. I, there's two big C's now. There's cancer and COVID. Thank mm. God I'm 100 percent good, and um, and I'm still careful. I don't. I feel like these three is three years now practically. Yeah. It robbed me of my joy. Mm. That was really hard, and I still have not gotten that back. I still don't want to go anywhere. I'm still feel that sort of threat that's mm. out there. Um, I have several friends who have long COVID and have yeah. high blood pressure and weird, weird shit. Happening. Yeah. I cannot deal with that. I just, mm-hmm. I, 
you know, I don't need brain fog. I don't need, you know, my blood pressure is probably high enough. Or like, I don't I've heard like to... people have like lost hair, their hair's falling yep, out their from hair's it. falling it's out. It's so yeah. crazy. No, it's really bad. And the thing that we don't know is it's different for every single person. And I'm all, you know, I got old. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm 146 years old. <laughs> but, um, and I love my, I'm, I'm happy. You know, I'm a very joyful person. So I feel like I've been really robbed. I, mm-hmm. I don't want to go anywhere. I mean, I don't want to like, I, you know, I get invited to stuff and now everything is sort of reopening and, you know, would you, you know, we're going to have a thing. We're all going to go and we're going to, and I went to Holly, Halloween Horror Night at Universal, mm-hmm. which is my favorite thing ever. And I couldn't wait to get out of there. I just, Aww. nobody with masks and everybody in your face. And I just said, I think we better go because I don't want to catch this. Yeah. And, and, you know, if you're really young and it's no big deal but i really want to protect myself so we'll see you know i'm well we all want you to protect yourself as well because i mean i know i'm not alone when i say that i mean you are you are such an inspiration to watch and i've so enjoyed seeing the, the great span of work that you've accomplished and i can't Thank wait to so see much. the rest that you do because everything that you do just it is so good Thank you so much. I love, I love it. I really love it. And I get still really like, Oh, I have have an idea. I mean, it's so great. I mean, if I, if I look pretty good for my age, it's because of that, because there's a juice that comes out of me, you know, almost when I'm, when I get an idea about something and it's, I'm grateful for, so grateful for that. And, you know, and again, health is everything to just take care of yourself and, I'm in excellent health and because I really do take care of myself. Stay mm-hmm. hydrated, you guys. I'm telling you, it's it's crazy, but you you your your whole system goes into sort of panic when you're not hydrated mm-hmm. and that's when you're vulnerable to getting sick. I mean, there's it's it's real simple stuff. You know, I always have <laughs> your big bottle, <laughs> it's, yeah. It's just water in here. It's not even Pellegrino, but I love <laughs> Pellegrino. <laughs> but it's but I mean, me. and I I keep it by my bed, honestly. And in the yeah. morning, whether I'm thirsty or not, I make myself drink a whole bottle of this before I get out of bed. Yeah. And what it does is it's sort of a nice moment. You're just kind of sipping away and sipping away. It kind of gets your, your system, wakes your system up a little and and uh, kind of thought it, it kind of gives you a moment for the day to begin. So that's my medical advice for everybody. Drink Stay water. Hydrated. Drink water. <laughs> Everyone yeah. drink water. Um, well, Glass thank you. Wine later is fine. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for coming on the show. I've had um, such a fun time uh, with you, and I'm so grateful that you decided to come on and, and do this. It's been so fun. Oh, you're so welcome. And, it's, and for me, it's really fun too, because this is where I come alive too, is being able to talk about what I love. And, you know, when you're on your own too, and you're sort of, there's so much, the world is such a difficult place right now. So enjoy your appreciate yourself the people around you if you have pets just Lots you know, just kisses. bring them close to you they do so much for us in so many ways and a good health to everybody yep i hope you have a beautiful holiday season and the new year will be better than ever for everybody yes. so thank you so much this was so much fun for me Thanks again to Lynn for coming on the show. Gosh, I had such a great time with her. And um, what an honor. Happy Halloween, you ghouls. 
I hope you all have a great weekend. It's the best holiday of the whole year. I'm sorry. I will fight you on that. I love Halloween. Um, so have a great Halloween. Love you all very much. And as always, thanks for coming in. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.